I'm Brianna. I'm Sarah. And we are the, the Squad, Squad Ghouls. Just a couple of creepy gals that love creepy things. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> creepy. All day. All slay. I don't know what I'm doing. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get enough sleep last night. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Not at all. Nope. It's fine, though. Nope. We're nope. going to get through this. We will. We'll do it. I have a joke for you. Okay, what do you got? What's a favorite... I mean, okay, look. Rewind. <laughs> What's a monster's favorite play? I don't know, Brie. What is it? Romeo and Juliet. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> I liked it. That's cute. But also, I was like, I probably would have loved it more if, if that was the name of the real thing. I mean, they did die in the end. I know, but I'm just saying. It's like bad decision after bad decision. I mean, like, what if she was like a zombie the whole time? Oh, that would have been amazing. But I think it's also the, the world's fascination with Romeo and Juliet. Like, yes, it was a beautifully written play mm-hmm. and it's a the great British tragedy and blah, blah, blah. Like, totally get it. But for me, it falls in the same vein of like Les Mis, <laughs> where <laughs> everybody loves Les Mis. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I mean, I like musicals, but also, like, when I actually saw the video of it, and they're all just standing there on the stage, they're not really moving. It's also a downer. Yeah. So, anyway. <laughs> I mean, it's be- it's beautifully written. There's it some is. great There's some, some great, great songs. Yeah, and, great and, music. But, you know, who knew that the a musical about the French Revolution would be a big <laughs> fucking downer? Oh my God, what if they made a musical of Romeo and Juliet? Haven't th- have, have wait, they not? Wait, please don't tell me that's been done and I missed it. I don't know, man. I f- well, I mean, maybe stories that played on the story, but I mean, like, actually using <laughs> Shakespeare's writing and making a musical. Oh, no, I don't think I've seen one. Like, that would be hilarious. I saw the, the Claire Danes and Leo DiCaprio version. Well, everybody saw that. But, oh, man. I liked it, but I also like Boslerman, so. Small doses for me. Okay. Uh, although I will say Greg Gatsby, mm-hmm. magnum opus. Yeah. Magnum opus. That, that was, was great. perfect. It was beautiful. It was Mul- mo- Moulin Rouge. Come on. <gasps> oh my God. And Moulin Rouge. Come on. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know what? I'm realizing Boz Lorman just loves downers. <laughs> it's okay though. Every single one of those ends tragically. It's okay if he's a Debbie downer. Well, uh, to, to bring it back up, I got a oh. joke for you too. Oh, okay. I'm ready. What type of pants do ghosts wear? <gasps> I don't know which ones. Boo jeans. <laughs> <laughs> These just get better and better well, every time. Worse and worse. Well, I say better. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, booze news? Yes. Booze news. Booze news. <laughs> so, the horror anthology series called Dark Ditties <laughs> with a D. <laughs> okay, continue. <laughs> is now streaming on Amazon Prime. Um, it's said to tap into the devilish twists of the great Ealing thrillers, the oh. whodunit that flourished in the glory years of British film and adding a wicked modern horror comedy gloss. That is quite the description. Wow. Um, so this UK anthology series has four episodes that are available for instant streaming through Amazon Prime with the brand new fifth episode premiering in September. This will air before September. Okay. If I remember to edit it with Jared. 
Sometimes I don't. The team explained this week that the Dark Diddy's universe is a unique, quirky horror comedy of 45 to 90 minute episodes that run counter to the trend of narrative behemoths, catering to the growing trend of start to end stories that leave the viewer satiated on each showing and eagerly awaiting the next sitting. Mm. That's again, quite the, uh, I know I was like, who wrote this? I don't know. Not me. That's for sure. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Oh boy. And uh, after a record-setting premiere season, AMC Network Shutter has wasted no time on renewing the Creep Show series for a second season. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. And we actually did a Creep Show review episode a while back. Yeah. Take a listen. If yeah. You haven't if, you ha- if you haven't downloaded it, we did one. We did a review. Um, overall, I was impressed. I mean, me there were a couple that fell kind of flat for me. Had like a slow start for me. And then, like, yeah. the better ones were, like, towards the end. Agreed. So. Ag- agreed. Um, but it did so well that it's been renewed for season two. Yeah. Exciting. And sad news. No, don't say it. I'm so sorry. Don't say it. Lionsgate <laughs> has taken the new horror movie Antebellum off of its theatrical release schedule for the time <sighs> being. So, for our listeners... I've been waiting for this one. Dude, I know. <laughs> I'm so bummed. I'm like, please just put it in the drive-in. Please. Or just put it on demand. Put it on demand. Because I will pay $20 for this one. Oh, same. I, I, I <laughs> just will, Just saying. I'm so hard up to see this movie. Um, so, for those that didn't know, this is the new horror film from Lionsgate that stars Janelle Monet, And it was originally... Originally. Oh, my gosh. Originally. We're, do- we're doing great. <laughs> You're doing great. <laughs> Thank you, Vox. Help me. Um, so it was originally supposed to uh, premiere on April 24th, but then good old Rona screwed everything. And then it was bumped to August 21st. And now, sadly, it has been taken off of the release schedule temporarily altogether <sighs> until forever. I said it before, and I'll say it again. Come on, AMC. <laughs> Come on, Regal. You know how much money those <laughs> assholes could make if they just did their own streaming service for things that were but, supposed to be. But also put the money into the drive-ins. Yeah, man. They are doing so good and would mm-hmm. do better with maybe a new, you know, HD kind of, you know, display mm-hmm. um, or 4K. Sorry, I know we're like way past HD now. <laughs> I'm old. Whatever. <laughs> I know nothing about technology. Do some like <laughs> partnership with Christie Protectors or something. Yeah, like make it. Big. I mean, like because we went to the drive-through, drive-through, the drive-in. I did what you did. <laughs> yep. Um, we went to the drive-in and I did enjoy it, but it would be nice if there was a little bit more brightness to the the film. Yeah, I agree. And I know it's hard, you know. Because of the, you know, projector. And the ambient lighting and such. Right. And people turning on their damn <laughs> headlights. <laughs> but I feel like they could, you know, help these really small businesses, you know, that are trying to run these drive-ins and, you know, just get give them something better and do, like, a great release for these movies that keep getting pushed back oh yeah and don't just do them on the weekends like do them during week. the week too and well and to, to your earlier point because there are a lot of um outdoor concerts that are happening too mm-hmm. um or car concerts like parking concerts and such yeah most 
even if you don't necessarily have a drive-in movie theater near you, most areas of the country have some sort of fairgrounds. So you could, and I mean, granted, some of them are a little bit further away. So it may not make it to some of the smaller towns across the U.S. or even across the globe. But Mm -hmm. I mean, and I'm not sure. You know, I kind of don't think that everyone else around the world is as obsessed with fairs and such as the U.S. is mostly because yeah. we just love shit food. That's why we mm-hmm. weigh so much more than the rest of Give the Give me world. all the funnel cake. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> what fun things can we throw together and deep fry? Everything. <laughs> Bonus points for the most calories in one serving. Um, <laughs> but, you know, at least here, here in the States, it, it would be great to even do fairground projection films and such um but you know i think we mentioned it last couple of episodes ago that there are small art galleries like the one near us here in pasadena that's doing sugar uh, mint yeah sugar mint gallery is doing small social distance film showings so you know there there are solutions i just feel i feel like companies are not getting creative and and adapting i mean instead they want to rip out all the seats and in the places that they already have, but why not save that money, leave that building the way it is, and when, you know, pandemic is over, you can just open it back up. Why not just use that little extra money that you were going to use for, you know, to pay people to work on that and work on, you know, these drive-ins and make them better and release, have these big release parties, you know, for these movies that keep getting pushed back. I mean, I'm just saying, I think there is a potential for a lot of money to be made here. I don't disagree with you. And it's not like people won't go pay to see them in the theaters. I mean, again, I would. Too. Yeah, I mean, mostly because I I need show popcorn. I need yes. a gigantic popcorn that's going to make me feel like shit after mm-hmm. I eat it. It's, it's worth it. Yeah, that's why I go to the movies. <laughs> I mean, I, I know it's just, it's a scary thing. And, you know, they don't want to create something and a whole bunch of you know, people get sick from being around each other. But, Definitely. you know, they're really following rules. They're making sure you have masks. Uh, you can't get out the car without having your mask on. They have people going and, you know, oh, checking yeah. and walking around. Those like ushers were on mm-hmm. everybody, like, stink on you-know-what. Oh, as they soon sure as you were. got out of the car, like, where's your mask? Yep. Did you put it on? Mask it or casket, people. <laughs> it's true. Yes. So, I mean... Let's let's come up with better ideas, people. Seriously. Uh, great. <laughs> uh, and continuing on, I'm going to share some more creators of color. Yay! This one I know you will like. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is uh, Evensea XO. She, this is a YouTube channel, actually. Mm-hmm. And this channel features everything for a beauty lover, wig tutorials, glam makeup looks, and even some special effects. Her Pennywise is pretty cool. <gasps> Google's now. <laughs> It's pretty cool. <laughs> so, I mean, like, needless to say, if you're makeup obsessed, you can spend hours binge watching all these videos. And seriously, like, you know, she does, and it's not just the Pennywise uh, that she transforms into, she does more than that. Um, also, kind of like getting into a little bit of the adult side. I thought I'd change it up a little bit. Brown chicken, brown cow. <laughs> Since we're all stuck at home. <laughs> <laughs> so many quarantine babies. Yeah, exactly. Um, a company called Feelmore. That's a good name. Uh, <laughs> you can buy your kinky BDSM related accessories 
or adult toys from people who know how to do it right. Hey now. And stand with sex workers. Yeah. Fillmore founder uh, Nena Joyner is a member of the Black and LGBTQIA plus communities. I got them all. Well done. <laughs> and aims to serve uh, marginalized people's specific uh, sexual needs. Uh, she has two stores uh, are located in uh, Oakland and Berkeley, along with an online shop. I am all about this. Yep. You can also check out eye candy another black owned adult toy shop whose ceo is uh tammy wallace and then also something a little sexy so like you know when you get your toys from fillmore now you're gonna get your outfits from d blue dazzled (laughs) that was a great segue you like that well done um and this brand is for people looking to literally shine in sexy lingerie it sounds like something i would like <laughs> uh it's de- it's designed by destiny blue the there's bedazzled bras panties crop tops shorts and even and they're even more dazzling and reasonably priced so that's good i like that but also i love everything bedazzled i mean within reason i mean i She's got some cute stuff, though. <laughs> I mean, this ain't no rhinestone cowboy place, but maybe <laughs> some some rhinestones here and there. Yeah, but her actually her designs have been seen on several celebrities, including Cardi B, Justin Bieber, Fallout Boy, and Lizzo. Justin Bieber. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to see what he bought. <laughs> Didn't he? Is he still alive or did he die? No, he's alive. Oh, can we give and, him back to and Canada? Married to Haley Baldwin. Oh, but to no, our she's... listeners in Canada, can we give you Bieber back? We got. <laughs> I think a few. he's there, isn't he? I don't know. I, feel I like didn't even he's know there. if he was alive or not. He so. has a house there. Oh, well, can I keep him permanently? I mean. I think he's probably quarantined there by now. Canada has given us so many wonderful things <laughs> that it was only a matter of time before a dud came along. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, today we're going to talk about Tales from the Hood. Yes. It was really important for the two of us to talk about this because mm-hmm. while we highlight creators of color in each episode, we also want to make sure that we're doing our part to highlight the achievements and the important films and horror that are either created by people of color or that are cast is starred in by people of color and so forth. And, Mm -hmm. um, Tales from the Hood was really revolutionary when it came out. Yes. 1995. Yeah. And, and because it really focused on, things that plague the black community and and issues that are relevant and poignant within the black community. Yes. And if you look at what was going on in 95 and uh, you know, I'm really sad to say that you know, here we are 25 years later and still and not a lot has changed. Yeah, the police corruption, domestic abuse, mm-hmm. institutional racism, gang violence, voter suppression. Yep. It's all it's it's all still there and yep. I yeah, it's it, it in what is more truly horrific than the real life horrors and issues that plague the black community. There really yeah. is not much, but I I really enjoyed the first one in particular. 
Yes, um, I was actually surprised at the Rotten Tomatoes rating. I don't know why. Going back to my or my comments from the Relic episode, <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, 47. I mean, we're going to talk about the second one, too, but... The second one did better. Which I was really surprised at. Because I liked the first one way better Me than the too. second one. Me too. And I was just like, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, especially because I feel like at the time that it came out, it was like super, super, super relevant. Absolutely. And needed to be, it needed to be there. It came out at the right time. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, and especially... Uh, you know, with, you know, Spike Lee also, you know, producing it too. Like, it, I don't know. I just, I was just really surprised that it got a, a 47. And you know what else is really surprising that it got a 47? The films or the, the, the segments. So for those that have never seen the movies, mm-hmm. Tales from the Hood is essentially a an anthology horror film for both one and two and then three which is going to be coming out that i'm very excited about yeah okay Um, hopefully i mean hopefully it's better hopefully it's better than two (laughs) um if it's as good as one i'll be super stoked um but they're a horror anthology series very reminiscent of tales from the crypt Mm -hmm. and creep show and even going into the masters of horror series that are these little standalone anthology segments um however each of the segments within the film are in both films are relevant to issues that exist within the black community yes so they were i felt like for the most part in the the tales from the hood one they were all really well casted yes and really well acted yes agreed i mean Clarence Williams. Oh, Mod Squad! <laughs> Mod Squad for the he, win! <laughs> I could, I cannot imagine anybody else to play Mr. Sims. Oh, he was. I, I feel like perfect. if he wasn't in this movie, I probably would have liked it a little less. I I agree with that because I, I I don't know. I just feel like with his, I know like he only in the movie opens you know the whole premise of like the stories that he was telling, but I don't know, just, I, I just feel like if he wasn't there, something would have been missing. They needed somebody strong enough for that role. Oh, and he was so creepy. He was, yeah, it was great. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he kept character. I, I would have been laughing the whole time. Oh my God. <laughs> and so for a little bit of background, and, and this is very similar to the setup of um, all, you know, the creep shows with, the creep being being the the host and then mm-hmm. the crypt keeper for tales from the crypt that kind of sets the stage for each of these little vignettes as they start to unfold yeah so uh clarence williams plays our mc of sorts yes mr sims little uh creepy uh mortuary owner mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so just to kind of open up uh, obviously for those who haven't seen it mm-hmm. <laughs> um we're in south central la and there's this uh, trio of drug dealers uh stack who is played by joe tory mm-hmm. ball uh who's played by deandre bonds and bulldog 
he was one of my favorites anyway (laughs) played by uh samuel monroe and they arrive at the sims funeral home to purchase some drugs that they hear you know they got the good stuff (laughs) (laughs) and then we meet (laughs) creepy mr sims clarence williams the (laughs) third he's like yeah you know i found these drugs in the alley and got them stored for you so you know he you know basically asks the 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 dealers you know like come you know follow me and we will um we'll go get them but as he's you know walking through he kind of stops and kind of segues 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 <laughs> I can't talk today. Um, and he starts to segue into uh, stories about some of the um, recent customers. <laughs> and so he gets into the first casket, which we find the body of a man named Clarence. This one was the hardest. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, this one was the hardest segment for me to watch. Well, I, I, well, this one, not so much for me. But, I mean, obviously, with the time that it was released, yes. Yes. And when I watched it back then, it, like, totally made sense to me. The, the, I think it's the story after that, though, the one that got to me. Uh, the second story. Oh. Well, the, the first but, one... But anyway. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> the, the first one is Rogue Cop Revelation. And for those that maybe aren't as familiar with U.S. history if you, or at least, you know, California history in particular. Um, but for those of our listeners that listen outside of the United States, you may have been familiar with the assassination of a man by the name of Rodney King mm-hmm. that took place in the early 90s. So this episode was, is for me, was very reminiscent of what happened to him. And I think that that's what the creators had in mind yes. when they were putting this together. So... It starts out with a following a young cop by the name of Clarence Smith, who's played by Anthony Griffith. And it's his first night on the job. And he is taken with his new partner, who's named Newton, played by Michael Massey, to the scene of what initially appears to be a routine traffic stop. And it's a very well-dressed black man. And he ends up, Clarence Smith ends up running the the car's license plate and learns that he's a character by the name of Martin Morehouse, who's played by Tom Wright, but he is a city councilman and black rights activist. And he has most recently been on a crusade to eliminate police corruption within the city. So super tragic. He watches as the police then beat poor Martin Morehouse within an inch of its life. Um, and they end up putting him in his car and they drug him up and they dump his, they, they push his car off the cliff and yeah. into, into the water. Basically and planting it. So it looks like it was all exactly his fault. Exactly. And they plant some drugs in the, in the back of his car as they drop him off of the cliff. So Smith then tells Newton that Billy and Storm, Strom, I'm so sorry, the other the other cop, should be reported for, for what they did and, and that they murdered him and then planted all the drugs. But Newton then tells him that officers don't break the quote-unquote code. Um, and 
you know, he's a year later, Smith is just completely destroyed. He's left the police force and now he just has turned into a completely guilt consumed alcoholic. So one night he's walking in his neighborhood and he sees a mural of Martin Morehouse. And he then has a vision of him being crucified that haunts him with these words of bring them to me. So in response, he then convinces the three cops that were involved to meet him at Morehouse's grave. And once they're there, they start talking trash and the the white cops start peeing all over his grave. And then they order... So gross. It's terrible. So... When all of this is going on, they they decide they're going to kill Smith. And then right when this happens, and I think it's Billy is the cop that's peeing on his grave. Yep. The, the zombie of Morehouse comes out through the ground and then grabs him and pulls him down into the, into the grave. Um, <laughs> and then we see the coffin burst up from the ground. And then you see Billy's mutilated corpse and... and Morehouse is clutching his heart that's still beating. It's yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I know you jumped the part when the hand came out. Oh fuck yeah, I did. <laughs> I am not too proud to admit it. Um, so obviously everybody runs away in horror, and there's a very lengthy chase that that ensues. And then the two cops leave in a patrol car, um, and then Newton's driving a vehicle. Morehouse jumps on top of it and then ends up decapitating one of them. Um, <laughs> Um, and then Newton exits the vehicle and uh, with Morehouse still on top of the car, he's carrying one of the cops heads around, which is super, yeah, it's, it's super, super grotesque. Um, he, they, the, the other cop shoots the gas tank of the car trying to get it to explode, uh, thinking that it will kill Morehouse, but it does not. I mean, he's already dead. He's already dead. You can't kill the dead. <laughs> Headshot. Headshot. Have we learned nothing from zombie probably movies? That. Also, right? I don't think that would work. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he chases them. He's obviously not dead. So he chases them into an alleyway and after the car explodes and then he uses these hypodermic needles he telekinetically Ooh, that this was the part, part was, that got me yeah i have a thing with like the needle yeah and <laughs> and then he you know flings them with t- t- telepathically and pins them to the this mural wall and after this guy's obviously the other cops obviously killed uh he melts into the mural which that whole part was real gross yeah and disgusting but i like how they did it though i did too (laughs) um so then all the cops are now dead morehouse murders them all as and and then he ends up pulling smith to the side um and says you know why didn't you help me when i was being beaten to death and the whole ending of this is smith ends up in a mental hospital and two orderlies outside of the cell mentioned that he killed the, all of the officers and that he used to be one himself, but they never mention Morehouse. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did like that one, though. I it was I liked the ending. Yeah. But it was the... the but it's true, though. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, and, and not trying to bring up recent Go there. things. Go there do it but let's not forget (laughs) george the george floyd Mm -hmm. uh death and the young african-american cop that just stood by and let it happen and what's very 
didn't say anything and what's so eerie is that this is 25 years later i know it's almost like the same story we never we never learn it's yeah. so sad it's it's yeah, it, it's, it's it's so crazy how it it's still relevant yeah. today this one was this, this one was probably for me the the tough well you Just know tough t- because it's still happening exactly and and that's where i get angry and i get frustrated Mm -hmm. because and and hearing hearing some of the experiences that you have had as a black woman hearing the experiences that many of our friends have had as as members of the black community even me i mean maybe not so much as others i mean i don't know if anybody could see but clearly I have a little bit lighter skin than most people in my race have. and But I've also had experiences where, uh, you know, I've been stopped and, like, pulled over. And, yeah. you know, totally just mistreated just because of the way I look. So, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. Yeah. It sucks. This world sucks. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it, I liked the twist at the end that... It wasn't Morehouse that was there, mm-hmm. that it was just Smith as the cop, and then he killed all the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was an interesting twist. I did yeah, not expect that. I like that. I really liked the ending mm-hmm. of that one. But getting into the next story, this one was hard for me. Yeah, this one was, was also pretty tough. Yeah, so, you know, we're finishing that story, and... You know, Mr. Sims is still, you know, leading, you know, the three drug dealers into another room, <laughs> even though they're just like, like, hey, like, can we just get stuff and get out of here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're already starting to feel uncomfortable. Uh, but we go into the next uh, uh, casket and it's uh, a boy named Walter. And uh, this uh, story is titled Boys Do Get Bruised. Oh. Yeah, it was really um so we meet walter johnson played by brandon hammond uh he's very quiet sensitive and he uh shows up to school one day uh with bruises on his cheek his eye um i also noticed you know bruises like on his arms and you know uh his teacher uh which richard garvey who is played by uh rusty uh Kandif, who's the director and the writer <laughs> um he notices the bruises and asks you know what happens you know what's going on and uh walter you know is telling him you know i'm being attacked by a monster um you know and then the next day he comes in a few days later he's got a bruised arm and you know while he's while the children are kind of outside playing walter he stays inside and he he draws a boy named tyrone uh which is one of the school like bullies and you know they were kind of like messing with him a little bit so as uh you know he's making this drawing he starts walter starts to crumble up the drawing and it causes tyrone to like suffer like really bad injury like i don't know if it made you like you know oh it kinda, made me cringe yeah. when he quote unquote fell down the stairs and broke both of his arms and his legs and, yeah. and the teachers are like how did but he do this it's just like you just heard the crack <laughs> yeah it was Eek. yeah so it oh god <laughs> i have a fairly strong stomach this one got to me yeah me too <laughs> so we uh get to later that night after uh 
school, uh, the teacher, Mr. Garvey, uh, visits Walter and, you know, kind of asks to speak to his mom, uh, Sissy, played by Paula J. Parker, about this monster. And, you know, Sissy is, you know, tells him that, you know, Walter, his injuries are just on his own, you know, like clumsiness and, you know, and then it goes into, you know, she's just basically trying to get the teacher out of there. She doesn't want him to know kind of like what's going on Mm -hmm. behind the scenes. Um, And then she kind of tells, you know, Walter, like, hey, you can't tell anybody about this monster. You can't go, you know, spreading this news to everybody. So as, you know, Mr. Garvey is leaving, Sissy's boyfriend, Carl, played by David Allen Greer, he, I, I really liked him in this role. I just want to point that out. <laughs> it was very different from him being funny all the time. It is. And so I, I learned that he is actually a Shakespearean trained actor. Yes, he is. And this was the first time that I saw him in a role where you actually saw the the range and the depth mm-hmm. of his acting yeah. abilities. And that's what I was saying. I was just like, wow. Mm-hmm. And he was scary. It was really scary. But anyway, get back into it. <laughs> so Carl uh, comes home and you know he's basically we learn that carl is the monster yep that you know walter is you know drawing and you know telling people about you know these stories so you know he sees carl notices the teacher leaving and you know he's kind of like hey are you going around and you know telling people like you know i am you know this this monster and then we start to see a, a tattoo uh on carl's arm that says monster mm-hmm. and then so he's clearly upset and you know thinking that walter is talking to his teacher about everything that's going on so carl starts to you know grab walter and you know and and beat him and then um uh sissy tries to come in you know trying to stop him and then he starts whipping her with the belt that's why i was saying this is really hard yeah <laughs> it was really hard for me to watch tough. this one it was really hard <laughs> um and so you know and then you know mr garby he turns around you know because he can sense that something there's something really like not wrong here not not wrong wrong here Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh he peeks through the window and he can see that Carl is abusing Walter and Sissy. So he, he bursts back through the house and, you know, starts to fight, you know, Carl off of them. And, you know, uh, with Carl, his attention, you know, is on the teacher. Walter, you know, grabs a piece of paper and he starts, you know, uh, he grabs the drawing that he made uh, the, the monster um, and begins to fold and like crumble it up. So Carl's body starts crumbling and collapsing in like the same fashion, like breaking his arm and mm-hmm. his legs. And oh, and then once uh, Sissy kind of starts noticing that, you know, this drawing is helping, you know, defeat Carl, uh, she starts, you know, stomping on the paper and like it, you know, pretty much to end. Um, and so finally, you know, uh, Mr. Garvey gives the paper to Walter and he he burns it. And, you know, Sissy and uh, Walter look on as Carl's being burned alive and just feeling they have that big, you know, uh, sense of uh, relief that, um, you know, they're free from like this abuse. But yeah, it's just 
really, really. That one was that really one hard was, for me to watch. Yeah, that one was a lot. It was very heavy. Yeah. It so, was very heavy. Yeah, we get into, uh, we see that, like, you know, Carl's Burton twisted corpse. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're, you know, still walking around. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we get to the next body. Creepy dolls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this one, truthfully, this one was my favorite. Yeah, of, I kind of liked it. I loved this one. I kind of had a chuckle. I did too. Very, a very creepy chuckle. Right? <laughs> so this one is titled KKK Comeuppance, and it stars Corbin Burnson. So for anyone whose family was obsessed with L.A. Law in Me. in the 80s and 90s which my grandmother was <laughs> he was very familiar um so it follows a southern senator by the name of duke metger who is played by corbin bernson he is totally obnoxious and super this horrible racist and former member of the kkk uh the senator in his, is sitting in his office and he's filming a campaign commercial when he starts seeing protesters outside um, they're, they are Jewish and African-American groups that have both teamed up to protest against him. Uh, and he, as we find out, had set up his office at a former slave plantation, which is like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, for real, though? For real. Um, so, <laughs> like, of course. <laughs> right. So one individual in the office by the name of Eli, who's played by Art Evans, tells a reporter that the plantation's haunted by dolls animated by the souls of previously tortured slaves. Um, and he warns everybody that this isn't a joke. This isn't something that we've made up because everybody's going, yeah, you know, whatever. So during this time, while they're they're having this conversation about the dolls, uh, Metger and his African-American quote-unquote image maker assistant named Rhodey, not to be confused with the Rhodey from Iron Man, <laughs> uh, who's played by Roger Smith, uh, they notice a large painting of Miss Cobbs, who is a hoodoo witch, and her dolls. Mm-hmm. And Metger starts insulting Rhodey and making racial racial slurs toward him. And while Rhodey just continues to attempt to ignore all of his rantings, they, they continue on. Metger then also refers to the dolls as Negro dolls. And one of them is seen under the floorboard as Rhodey starts to exit. So while they're working on his media skills, Rhodey ends up falling down the stairs and dying. And then it's later learned that the doll that was seen under the floorboard was the cause. The doll's just like hanging out yep. there. Yeah, it was it was real creepy. <laughs> so then at the funeral, Eli warns Metger to leave the house before he ends up like his dead assistant or worse. And in the limo after Rhodey's funeral, Metger starts to notice or notices the doll in the car and then orders that his uh, or orders his african-american driver to pull over so he can throw the doll out the window onto the street so for those that have not read up on haunted objects you don't do that you one you don't you don't throw them out period because they'll come back exactly or or (laughs) many bad misfortunes will befall you if you are in possession of a haunted object you have to properly destroy it or you have to gift it to someone else. Yeah. Don't throw it out the window. Mm-mm. Just don't. Please don't. Um, so throws him out the window onto the street. And then later he notices a blank spot on the painting. So this 
painting of Miss Cobbs with all of her dolls, we start to see, and this happens you know, further as they start to appear more, we see the doll completely missing from the image and it's just the white cutout of where it used to be. So the doll ends up coming into contact with him because when he threw it out, he really didn't. So then Metger throws a vase at it and it disappears and then starts to attack him out of nowhere and starts trying to chew on him, which is <laughs> like so creepy. Um, so even though he's injured, he manages to stop the doll by beating it with an American flag. Uh, and then he damages the painting. And then when he does that, the painting starts to, to bleed in a very stigmata type fashion. Yeah. Yeah. That part was great. That part was real creepy. <laughs> so then uh, Metger takes the doll outside on his porch and ties it to a dartboard. And then he shoots it with a shotgun, goes back inside, and he starts ranting at the painting again. However, while he's ranting and completely losing his mind, he starts realizing that there's more of these cutouts on on the image. Yep. And there are no more, there are fewer dolls and just more white spaces left. So he starts to track several small footsteps that we hear throughout the house. And then he finds the doll that he had shot previously that's just hanging in the hallway and reattaching its own head. <laughs> so the doll attacks him again and chases him into his office. And Megger then manages to lock it outside and tries to figure out a way to, to get himself out of it. So he sees the painting. When he looks at the painting, all of the doll images have all faded to white. So they're all gone. And he turns around to see the entire army of dolls from the painting standing behind him. He then covers himself in the American flag and they all jump on him and completely devour him. It's great. Yeah. And then Miss Cobbs disappears from the painting and you see her manifested into the room and she's holding the first doll that he had thrown out the window and then tried to shoot in her arms. So they sit there satisfied and they're smiling and they as they watch what's going on. <laughs> and then we cut back to the funeral home, the Sims funeral home. Oh yeah. Yeah. So and it's getting good. Yeah. This last one was also yeah. kind of hard for me to to watch. A little bit. Yeah. But they but, Oh, sorry. Oh no, no, go ahead. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> they um so so as we've gone on, so now we're we've watched three different vignettes and we've learned about three different bodies in the funeral home. So the dealers that were meeting Mr. Sims start getting really impatient and Mr. Sims then alerts them to another body in the room and they ask if he knew them. And then Bulldog actually says that it was someone that he seen that he had seen around their neighborhood. Int. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So then we get into the story called hardcore, hardcore convert. And yeah, so this is where we meet Jerome, Crazy K. Johns, <laughs> played by Lamont Bentley. And he is just this crazy, like, unhinged, violent gang member. And he's killed, like, a bunch of people. Everybody knows, like, he's got, you know, this reputation. Um, and we see him driving down in his Mustang. And he comes to a stoplight and he notices one uh, person that he's, you know become enemies with and you know he hasn't seen him in a long time so he starts to follow him and then crazy k parks in the neighborhood and has kind of like a brief argument you know with him and then you know 
shoots him. Uh, and so in retaliation, three other men, uh, who we don't see their faces, they come out, um, and attack him from the house nearby. And the men shoot crazy K and just as they're about to shoot to kill him, the police arrive at the scene and due to one of the shooters firing at the police officers, all three gunmen are shot and killed. Uh, crazy K is super injured by, um, all the gunshot wounds, but he, he survives and only, and he basically gets arrested and he's sent to prison. Uh, so yeah, this prison was definitely, um, interesting. (laughs) Yeah. This is where (laughs) shit gets weird. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it it definitely, this one definitely took a turn for me (laughs) because I wasn't expecting it. Was not expecting this (laughs) at all. Um, so basically crazy uh crazy k received a life sentence for suspicion of murder three times along with like a bunch of other charges because we all they all know that he's killed like so many people uh so we meet uh dr cushing who's played by uh rosalind uh cash and this was actually her final film before her death i know i loved her yeah she was really good in this too um so uh, we, you know, she arrives at the uh, the prison and transfers Crazy K to another facility. So she takes him out. She's like, you know, I need him at this place. <laughs> so he gets locked in another cell and then Crazy K meets uh, another inmate played by Rick Dean, uh, who was a homicidal white supremacist. And he starts ranting and raving about killing black people and the end of days of, you know, blacks and just going off at him, just, you know, put pretty much, you know, just getting a rise out of crazy K. Uh, and then it, you know, makes him causing him to punch him and, you know, start getting crazy with him, <laughs> you know, and then, um, the man asks crazy K, you know, as you know, he's trying to beat him on the ground, you know, he says like, you know, who, uh, what was the race of the victims that you killed? And that's, you know, pretty pretty much silencing him because all of his victims were black mm-hmm. yeah so <laughs> you know the white supremacist you know he starts to kind of like him and you know he's he tells him you know like you know thanks thanks to you you know there's few black you know people who will be spared because you know he he thinks like a white supremacist killing all these black people so he's pretty much doing the job for him mm-hmm. uh which you know, of course, you know, Crazy K is sitting there like, oh, damn, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like this crazy dude is uh, throwing some truth on me right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so then we bring uh, we bring him back, uh, uh, Dr. Cushing, and, you know, she tells him that, you know, she wanted him to be in this facility because, you know, she she wanted him to meet someone who's just like him mm-hmm. meaning like you know you're 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 being just like you know this person who's you know involved probably in the kkk and you're just killing more black men which is what they do and uh she you know she tells him that she's been hired by the government to kind of do this you know big rehab uh you know process on crazy k and hoping that it will change him uh, so she puts Crazy K through this like crazy, uh, you know, torture to just kind of make him learn 
you know, the consequences of his actions. Trigger warning. If we happen to have any listeners that have the specific type of epilepsy that triggers seizure, that, oh. that has seizures triggered I'm by so glad you mentioned flashing that. lights. Yeah. This, this segment of the film does have that. So mm-hmm. just quick trigger warning for anyone who may have that particular type yes, of epilepsy. Yes, because they do not tell you that at the beginning of the movie. No, it was the 90s. <laughs> right. They're just like, it, it's fine. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, you know, the, the first process, uh, they, they cut his hair, uh, with a, with a K cut (laughs) into the front and shaved off. Um, then he's forced to witness this slideshow that shows a bunch of like, you know, KK members, uh, KKK, KKK members and, you know, victims of lynching and, you know, and then it kind of cuts into, you know, a lot of like, like really grisly, like footage of gang violence and, and, you know, and then, you know, he's seeing this like whole montage, like going back and forth of just, you know, you know, black people um, getting killed and then, then showing a montage of people that he's killed. And, you know, and then Dr. Cushing is kind of in the background as, you know, this uh, reel is, you know, rolling and, you know, she goes into saying, you know, you killed many, you know, innocent, uh, you know, African-Americans, like, you know, no remorse, no, like, you weren't even thinking about it. You're just like, I don't like him. I'm gonna shoot him. And, you know, then she starts to put Crazy K in another uh, stage, which is a, a sensory uh, deprivation chamber. This part, like, kind of this is me. the trigger warning. Yeah. <laughs> and, and here is where he's confronted uh, by the souls of his victims um i got a little sad on one part um you know it includes one of like uh you know a friend of his um but also uh he killed a an innocent young girl um you know bullet uh went um from crazy k's uh, gun went through her wall and killed her and of course he's still you know refusing to take any responsibility for this and you know and dr cushing is you know telling him yeah you're not gonna you're not going to get another chance, you know, for forgiveness. This is, you know, this is it. This is the time that you need to to do this. And, you know, he, Crazy K just starts to realize like, you know, how violent that he's been and, you know, and he, it, it's all stemming from like, you know, a really bad, you know, childhood. And, and this brings up a lot of, you know, areas, especially like South Central, like, there's a lot yeah. of kids that are pretty much brought into this. Like, this is what you have to do. This is going to be your life. And for those that may not know, and, and the reason why there are certain areas of the U.S. in particular that are so poverty-stricken, and and one of the things that I really like about these films is that they speak to not only overt racism that exists in the u.s but also the systemic racism that has this country has been built upon for years so even though you know jim crow laws were were banned you know 50 years ago we're still seeing the the remnants of those issues that are still plaguing Mm -hmm. the black community today and looking at areas like south central this was a part that was historically redlined meaning that if you were a person of color you could not you could not buy a home 
you could not qualify for a mortgage. And even though those laws were were changed over time, these areas are still incredibly poverty stricken. And how are school districts funded in the U.S.? Mm -hmm. They are funded based on property taxes. So obviously, if you have homes with lower property values, you're going to have fewer dollars that are going into public schools, which means lower lower salaries for teacher fewer extracurricular activities and also less staff that can qualify mm-hmm. because there's there's two different parts of school funding in the US there yep. is you know capex and opex so even if there are additional operating funds that are potentially available or various grants that are available the schools that are obviously already more well funded typically being areas that are primarily white yep. and affluent areas mm-hmm. Those folks are going to have people on staff that specifically can jump in line to try to get these grants first. Yeah. So looking at Crazy K and his particular path that he's been born into, South Central LA is even now, even though property values are still astronomically higher than they are in many other parts of the country, it's still not an affluent area yeah so if you're and it's very hard to overcome the systemic injustice that has existed for so long when you're born into it yeah exactly you know and so he you know the souls are trying to protest and you know accuse him even more but he just just you know gets more angry and and more defensive so basically he's you know refusing you know the chance uh you know redemption for his sins so then we go back to the the beginning the opening um scene where you know the moment when he shot and then you know crazy k is just shot dead by the three gunmen and the story ends with his uh corpse lying in the abandoned street so then we you know we cut to um we finally see who the killers are and uh, who killed Crazy K. And it's revealed to be Stack, Ball, and Bulldog. Crazy. Ooh. Wasn't just some guy in the neighborhood. <laughs> so knowing, you know, Mr. Sims, now that they know that Mr. Sims knows who they are, the, you know, they start to threaten him and say, you know what, you're going to be killed unless we, you know, unless he reveals, you know, and, and, gives you know gives him the drugs and all that stuff and so sim starts to lead them deeper you know in the funeral home and you know he tells them oh i got your reward and you see three caskets so of course these dummies (laughs) they go over (laughs) they go over to the uh the caskets and open it and they reveal it's them and they're and they're dead uh and uh sims makes their their guns glow really red hot so it makes them drop it and you know sims explains that you know since they murdered uh you know crazy k at you know like after the murder the retaliation of uh, crazy k's boys like you know caused their deaths and you know bulldog asks him like you know how can they dead when they're you know obviously they're right here you know in the funeral home talking to him Mm mm-hmm and you know sims he starts getting <laughs> this, is, this is not a funeral home kids <laughs> yeah he's like this ain't a funeral home <laughs> this is hell this man this <laughs> is a hell and that's where you ended up yeah and he starts he transforms into satan and they're you know screaming in horror and then you know they and then it reveals that 
you know, they're becoming, they're inside the inferno, it's, it consumes them, and then they're left to burn with all the tortured souls, while Mr. Sims, aka Satan, is laughing at them. And the end. I liked it. <laughs> I really, I really, I really liked the ending. I did too. And it was a nice, it was a nice twist. Yeah. That wasn't expected. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I thought that Tales from the Hood 1 had a lot of production value to it. Yeah. Considering, considering the time and yeah, the special effects weren't that great, but it was also 95. So unless you had big I mean, bucks. I appreciated what they did. Yeah, I, I did too. It was still, it was much better than many other films from the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really enjoyed that there was finally, and there finally has been an anthology that specifically features people of color. Yeah. Because they, for so long, they have just strictly featured white people. Mm-hmm. So I, this was t- super groundbreaking when it came out in 95. I strongly disagree with the Rotten Tomatoes Me too. rating. I, especially considering what the second one got. Um, <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, and I mean, and I guess just kind of, <laughs> getting into the second one i i didn't like it as much i didn't either and i feel like if you know they were trying to you know do this sequel i don't know i just yeah i i didn't care for it that much <laughs> no i didn't either. but you know but it was great though because you know we were all there when it was announced january in 2018 you know, he announced on Twitter that, you know, the sequel was going into production and that he was scouting locations in Louisiana. And then in April 2018, he announced uh, that the actor Keith David would portray Mr. Sims, I which I love Keith David so much. I love Keith David, but I was also kind of like, why can't we bring back Clarence Williams? <laughs> I know. Well, was he alive? I don't think he. I oh, think maybe he, that's what dead. it was. Yeah, he, oh, he okay. died in. Well, damn when oh no 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 he's not dead he's alive yeah okay that's what i thought he's old though maybe he's just like i'm tired i mean (laughs) oh no 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 he's alive he's alive he's okay he's 80 okay well i mean he could could have done it he totally could have maybe not as crazy Mm. as the first one yeah (laughs) (laughs) but he could have done it i'm just saying maybe he maybe he declined maybe he politely declined probably um but uh fun fact in the segment of good golly one of the dolls in the museum is the murderous doll held by mrs Cobbs. i did like that there was like a, a nice little nod to, <laughs> to tales from the hood one yeah i was like oh i see you <laughs> that was really really cool i liked it um and the um the segment the sacrifice which we'll get into later is also um it's it's inspired by the actual beating and lynching of emmett till this one was really hard for me to watch um and it just it makes reference to many figures of importance in the civil rights movement um i'm really glad that this one was in there i i liked the way that it went um uh, anyway but the the film had its world premiere at the Fantasia International Film Festival Festival in Canada on July 13, 2018, and it was released to home uh, to home video on a um, October 2nd, 2018. And Rotten Tomatoes gave it 75%. I I we need to switch it. Like they need to switch I, that. Yes. Yes. So I agree. just saying. 
<laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> well, well, let's get into the opening. Yeah, man. So we we get into the beginning and uh it's you know some unknown time in the future we're at uh dumas beach uh a uh, prison uh operator uh who's constructing an army of like robo uh patriots you know and they're kind of like learning from secondhand stories and kind of function as law enforcement officers uh he recruits the great storyteller mr sims keith david Mm -hmm. to fill their heads with information uh from these stories and you know to help them better determine who's a criminal and thereby and thereby kind of like fill his prisons up and like kind of suggests like you know black lives as a as a theme black lives matter yes they do Mm-hmm. Just, just saying that <laughs> they do so as we see this programming going on we cut to the first story of good golly um this one really annoyed me <laughs> yeah sorry i was so mm-hmm. mad and you know what i i was the most pissed. well okay hold on let me start <laughs> and then i'll talk about i, I also so agree though <laughs> yeah um, so it starts out with two white siblings named Audrey and Philip and their black friend named Zoe. And they're just t- taking a trip together. So Philip goes rock climbing and Audrey and Zoe visit a place called the Museum of Negrosity. And it houses an assortment of racist propaganda and with posters, books, dolls, you name it. It's all there. So Audrey then wants to buy a Gollywog doll named Golly G for her collection, which like so much wrong with this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so much wrong with this. Um, but then she's informed by the owner that it's use as a she the owner lets her know about its past history and its use as a tool of racial pop propaganda and that nothing in the museum is for sale it's there for educational purposes right only. and she keeps fighting him on it and then she keeps trying to tell him that she herself is not racist because she has a black friend which uh. how many how many white people do you know where that virtue seeking is their main argument of no i'm not racist i know this black person and it, it pissed me off <laughs> Like, yeah i'm like seriously seriously but it's so common it's it's dumb if you're that person stop <laughs> stop being that person <laughs> having black friends does not make you not racist yeah um so that night the girls go back with philip to try to steal the doll but while they're messing around they end up knocking it over um and break the display case glass and they actually knock over the whipping post because zoe and philip are dating and they start messing around and start playing with the whip and then the actual post falls over underneath the zoe when the glass breaks on on the gollywog doll Mm -hmm. um so then they find a book called Gollywog Goes to Hell, and they notice that all of the pages after the first page are blank. So then the doll ends up coming to life and grows to human size, and it kills Zoe with a guillotine. So when they walk into the, the museum, there's this big mouth <laughs> a la Candyman yeah. when they're walking through the big mouth, but it's got a door that goes over the top of it, so that comes down, kills Zoe, and then uh, he kills Philip by whipping him to death with the whip that they were messing around with earlier. So then Audrey <laughs> tells, and this was so bizarre. So Audrey tells Golly G that she loves him and she expresses her desire to stay with him. So then months later, she's super knocked up 
And she tells the owner of the museum that she wishes to, she wants to go to a hospital because she said, you know, I don't care if I die, but let my kid live. Mm -hmm. So then she, uh, the owner says that he wouldn't be able to explain the quote unquote situation if he did that. So then very reminiscent of the film Alien, many, many, many (laughs) gollywog dolls bust out of her stomach. So gross. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Um, and they just, they keep popping out like crazy. And then she ends up dying. The end. Goodbye, Audrey. Bye, Audrey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we move on to the second story. Yes. Called uh, The Medium. And we meet this pimp. <laughs> that word makes me laugh. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> uh, his name is Cliff Bettis. And uh, he's being uh, beaten in uh, his garage full of fancy cars by some robbers, you know, trying to get some, you know, money that he has. And he refuses to surrender and, you know, explain explaining to them that, you know, he's, you know, given up being a pimp and, you know, that that money is, you know, part of um, two magnet schools that he's trying to build and sponsor um, scholarships to improve, you know, life for next generation. Um but then, you know, Cliff accuses uh, one of the robbers of, quote-unquote, being a bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're going to bleep that. <laughs> um, for uh, Bobby Sanchez in San Quentin. And then he's, then they proceed to beat him to death. Uh, so, yeah. So, meanwhile, we meet uh, the TV psychic, John Lloyd. And he records, um, you know, the the chatter among the audience members before the show. And, you know, he uses notes provided by his staff to present, you know, the illusion of his psychic abilities, which I think is like so true with all those guys (laughs) or girls, (laughs) whoever's doing, you know, trying to say they can talk to the dead and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the, the, the robbers, you know, see the show and they they bring uh, Cliff's girlfriend, Sandra Blake, to Lloyd uh, John Lloyd's house to trick him, you know, into opening um, the, the door for them. And they they tell him, you know, you got to channel um, Cliff Bettis. And, you know, when John, you know, begins to act out the seance, he finds himself possessed in a series of different spirits accusing the the robbers of, you know, unjustly killing them. Uh, so ultimately Cliff, uh, begins to speak through John and the, the robbers, uh, and then they start to threaten to kill, uh, Sandra if Cliff doesn't, you know, tell them where the money is. Uh, so Cliff magically jams their guns and kills the robbers through telekinesis. This one was just so <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. You know, and like twisting one neck and then he, you know, shooting broken glass into the mouth of the other. And, and then the other one is, you know, got electrocuted. Uh, from the wires that were attached to the chandelier and then you know possessed by the spirit john lloyd uh you know <laughs> he goes to be more success uh su- more successful as a true psychic because <laughs> after this happening he's like oh my god i have <laughs> these great psychic abilities <laughs> like thanks cliff bettis <laughs> yeah it is just so ridiculous but this is like after that the first one and then this one i was kind of honestly like is there hope 
Well, then you get to the third one and you realize there really isn't any hope. Yeah. The So the, the third one's called Date Night and it follows two characters, one named Ty, one named Kahad. So they're driving for a quote unquote date night with two girls that they found on Tinder and it's already bad yeah so then they start talking and wondering how they ended up getting dates with such hot looking girls and asks you know what do you have to do to to get them to date us and and ty then admits that he lied to them about being an agent and a casting director (laughs) so they arrive at this gorgeous mansion and they assume that the girls are trust fund babies and not aspiring actresses so it becomes less of a big deal they meet and, and have a bit of a party and then they start having they start drugging up and drinking and blah 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 and then they start playing uh cards against humanity at one point mm-hmm. and uh so at one point they drug the girls and then they take them upstairs so they start to set up a camera so that they can film themselves doing things to these two women and then when they're looking at the camera they see that the you can't look at the girls bodies on the viewfinder you just see like the outline of their lingerie of where they are and that's it so then the girls pop up and they reveal themselves to be vampires (laughs) again this is where we realize there's no hope (laughs) Um, oh man so then they they chase him down and they bite him and then the two guys pass out so when they finally wake up they find themselves locked up in a prison with all of these other internet predators (laughs) and instead of killing them the girls actually turn them all to vampires yep so these two dudes are are begging to be let go but the two women like no you deserve what you get and then they let all of the turned other internet predator vampires on the two gentlemen it's like why did you gotta drug them right <laughs> maybe they would have hooked up uh, with you without that right <laughs> just ask nicely uh yeah that i, I just kind of lost hope a little bit yeah <laughs> but it then we come into the sacrifice mm-hmm you know where it's 1955 and the young, young Emmett Till you know is beaten and uh lynched for you know speaking to a white girl in money mississippi so we see this happening and then we go into present day and it's an interracial couple they're expecting you know a child you know following uh they they had a um, miscarriage mm. in the previous year but the white mother, who we meet, Emily Bradley, uh, keeps having dreams that Emmett, you know, is telling her, you know, he's, you know, he's not sure, you know, that, you know, they deserve the child. And, and then, you know, she kind of starts getting scared that, you know, you know, maybe, you know, somebody's going to take their baby away. So then we meet the black father, he's councilman Henry Bradley. And, you know, he's uh, visited by his mother who, you know, pretty much tells him, you know, that, you know, she doesn't, Emily, you know, doesn't need distress about him being involved in the election campaign. Like, you know, just kind of keep going on with your life and everything's, you know, you know, going to be great. And, you know, Henry's, um, he says that his mother is only saying this, you know, because he's uh, supporting the Republican candidate, uh, William Cotton. 
Um, you know, and basically he, she believes that he's targeting voting locations in predominantly, predominantly, uh, black districts, uh, for closure. And also I think it's important to note that didn't this just happen in the state of Kentucky? Sure did. Like two months ago. Sure did. It went from a thousand polling stations (laughs) to not very damn many. Yeah. Mm. So Emily goes to visit her doctor and, um, you know, the doctor just tells her, you know, you're fine, but, you know, just stay in bed and just try to think happy thoughts as best as you can. (laughs) So, um, you know, Henry holds a a fundraiser at the house where William uh, Cotton states that his mission is to take Mississippi back to its core values and kind of jokes that Henry would, you know, have you know, have been serving them and, you know, in those days. And as he's collecting campaign contributions, you know, Emily comes, he, she comes down the stairs and announces that Emmett is, uh, is choosing to live, meaning that her child, uh, will have to die. Uh, so she grabs a knife and, and throws it at the spirit of Emmett, which her husband and, you know, the fundraiser guests, they're all seeing this. Um, and, uh, Henry's mother brings an, an elderly man who was with Emmett on the night of the lynching and can see his spirit. Uh, you know, and the man, um, says that Henry, he has to change his vote. And so that the voting locations are not closed. And Henry accuses his mother of, you know, concocting the story in order to get him, you know, to change his mind. You know, what was, there was actually a quote from this movie that I, I saw this when it came out, but there's a quote from, this part of the movie where his mom's trying to convince him that this Republican candidate is awful, horrible. He is 100% trying to suppress the black vote. And at one point the, her son looks at her and says, you know, not everybody can, or I'm trying to hit a home run and, and not everybody can hit a home run. So give William Cotton a little bit of a break. And she very quickly responds to him and says, it's not a home run when you were born on third base. Mm hmm. Like, so much truth being dropped in one line. Yep. <laughs> Mic drop. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, and then, so, they we they go back to the doctor. And, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Gwinnett uh, basically lets them know that the, the fetus is, you know, it's shrinking. It's dying. <laughs> and so, when uh, Henry uh, tells the doctor that he's the father uh dr Gwinnett insists that he was like oh well i can't work for you guys you know because you're together and i don't like that (laughs) which i'm like that's just crazy (laughs) yeah (laughs) and um and so uh emily insists that henry kidnapped her and hits him with the lamp then uh the doctor like pretty much just drives away (laughs) but um after being touched by the old man henry finally sees the spirit of emmett you know who like tells him that you know he went through a lot of hell for nothing because you know henry is is voting against the interests of his people which you know like it's weird i mean everybody's entitled their own opinion but sometimes i feel like (laughs) some people are just kind of in some places for the wrong reasons yep 
<laughs> so then uh, Henry is visited by the spirit of Carol Denise McNair and her friends from Sunday school who were killed in the bombing at the 16th Street Baptist Church. Aww. Also really sad. And if you guys haven't been to that church and, and see that statue... That's heartbreaking. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, and then he's, you know, also uh, followed... It, he's also followed by a visit um, by James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, uh, Michael um, Schwerner, and as well as uh, Megger Evers and Dr. King. Yeah. And his final visitor is uh, Mammy Till, who is Emmett Till's mother. And, uh, you know, she insisted you know, a, a public, you know, funeral service to be an open casket. So her son's beaten face, you know, she wanted everybody to see that, which is just, that part actually got me. That got me right in the feels because Mm -hmm. the ghost of Emmett Till is talking about how much he sacrificed and how much all of these other children and 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 men and women have sacrificed so that he could be where he is today. Yeah. And, then he, you know, he looks over and he sees Mammy Till and says, well, well, who's that? And he said, that's my mother, because let's not forget what she sacrificed yep. by forcing an open casket so that everyone could see what yeah. happened. And I'm like, oh, God. And it's crazy because you can still see the pictures online. Oh, yeah. It's... Again, <sighs> history books need to put these things so that we can't, you know, don't repeat mm-hmm. any of this stuff. But... <sighs> Yeah, you know. that, that part, that that was, like, right to the feels. Yeah. Right like, to the feels. Yeah, I, I kind of, like, had to have a moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, you know, they're, you know, they're trying to tell him, like, you, you know, you can't, you know, ruin, like, you know, all these sacrifices that people have done yeah. for yeah. you, you know, for you to be here. Uh, so then we go to William Cotton. He, you know, arrives and... Uh, his SUV and his label clan patrol. <laughs> like of all things. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Emily accuses Henry of rape. Uh, so Cotton and his men beat, you know, Henry's mother and attempt to abduct him, uh, abduct him, excuse me. Uh, you know, Henry quickly promises to Emmett, you know, that he will vote against, you know, the closure of the voting locations and Emmett informs him that, you know, it doesn't matter now, you know, you, you have to go the extra mile, um, you know. You now have to make the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah, you got, you got to make the sacrifice, just like I made the sacrifice. So he, you know, chooses to sacrifice his life, and he's beaten to death by the clan patrol, and his spirit, uh, you know, senses that the child will now, you know, live, and he and, he and Emmett disappear. Aww. I mean... It was a crazy ending. It was. For me. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was. <laughs> but, um, you know, and at the end, you know, uh, Beach, you know, presents the Robo uh, Patriot at a press, a press conference and claims that it will, you know, predict who will commit crimes against lawful citizens. I did like this part. Yeah. <laughs> And so then when activated, the robo-patriot identifies uh, potential thieves and illegal immigrants before I <laughs> identifying <laughs> dumbass bitch. <laughs> for, for Dumas Beach. Yeah, Dumas Beach. <laughs> and as a, a immediate, clear, and present threat to American civilization. And shoots lasers at him and his team. 
<laughs> due to like you know after each story having shown them uh you know shown themselves to be racist misogynist and anti-immigrant mm-hmm. <laughs> so as he runs away uh, mr sims uh shows up and offers him a ride in an suv after beach verbally abuses him you know calling him the n-word oh. he's informed that they are not in a car <laughs> he then notices his own dead body in a coffin in the back as it becomes a hearse and then you know mr sims reveals himself to be satan and that they are in hell and demons then drag beach out of the car in the end the end yeah so yeah this one got a what 70 on rotten tomatoes which i'm very surprised because i only literally liked the last story and the ending and truthfully the um i'm sorry it had a 75 on rotten tomatoes yeah 75 sorry no oh no 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 i i can't i can't read um You know, I felt like the 95 version had better production value, actually. Agreed. And, and I feel like it was it was better casted. But I felt like the stories were better, uh, minus the last one. Yes. But I didn't really care for the other ones. No, I like, didn't either. Each of the ones in the first movie, like, served, like, a, a bigger purpose. Right. And I feel like in the second one, I didn't feel that as much, only in the last one. They were not quite as um, relevant and poignant stories, but to your point, the very last one was, um, the rest of them, the rest of them, not so much. And I feel like they started to get a little tropey, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, where I'm kind of sad is that they, they really strayed away from the spirit of the first one. Exactly. And, they they definitely went down the more typical horror anthology route mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to make them more relevant stories. Which I'm just really surprised they went that way because the first one was just so well done. Yeah. And you're getting people excited about, you know, creating the sequel. It's been forever. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a little scared for the third one. Well, the good news is that the new one has Tony Todd in it. Okay, that I like. I now I don't. I hope he's know. gonna be Mr. Sims. That's what I'm kind of wondering. <laughs> I kind of hope he's gonna be uh, Mr. Sims. I think that would be great. I hope so. I have not seen any notes regarding casting or any any. Still, I'm looking at the IMBD right now. He still doesn't have a, a role listed. But okay. um, my hope is that he's the new Mr. Sims. Yeah. Um. Even though I do love Keith David, I thought that he yo know, he was actually my favorite part of the whole thing. Yeah. I mean. Without him being in it, I again, it, they needed to have somebody who would serve as like that good, strong like storyteller. Yeah, like just how Clarence Williams did in the first mm-hmm. one. Um, so I, I agree. I think he did a good job. But you know, I'm just saying, love me some Clarence Williams. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fair. and he's still alive. It doesn't get any better than the mod squad. I mean, I know you're not uh, listening, Clarence Williams, but if you are, like maybe. Just maybe, just have a small cameo in the third one, please. Like you can just be like a receptionist at the mortuary or something, right? Like just just hanging out, looking creepy as ever. (laughs) (laughs) Small suggestion for the writers that are trying to write up the the third movie right now. Definitely. (laughs) But I mean, for the first one, uh, for me. Uh, I would definitely, for me, I, I'm, I'm like four screams. I give the first one four screams as well. Yeah. This one, the second one, I'm, I'm like at a 2.5. Oh my God, same. I was just going to say that. 
<laughs> because it just it just served absolutely no purpose and i thought no. we were gonna get somewhere good when they were kind of like mentioning the whole you know black lives matter and i was like okay we're gonna maybe we're gonna get somewhere no <laughs> and i felt like the ending was predictable too yeah when when he starts talking about you know the robo thing being able to predict when there's someone as a, who's a threat to america in there like yeah no shit they're gonna point yeah. it at the racist old white guy like right because you he just proves himself to be such a shithead the entire film so it's like yeah i can i i know where this yeah, is gonna go i i figured that was gonna happen it's a little predictable yeah so but i i have some hope for the third one <laughs> i hope so if it ever gets released at or this I'm, point because nothing's getting released yeah right uh, well i mean are they even starting to film right now since everything's yeah, kind of shut it, down well it was it's already done and oh, it's, it, is. it was supposed to come out this year for the 25th anniversary oh okay of the first one okay all right well hopefully we get to see it and hopefully it's good yeah we'll see but also on a larger note be sure that as a well-rounded horror enthusiast that you are actively seeking out stories that are written by black creators that are directed by black filmmakers and also that feature strong black actors in a leading role yes please and if you haven't listened to our podcast episode talking about this exact subject please take a listen Oh, there's yes. some great things that we talk about and watch the um documentary we talk about it in that episode too but watch the documentary horror noir yes, on it's, Shutter. it's so great so good and it'll also introduce you i mean at least it did for me it introduced me to a lot of other black filmmakers mm -hmm. um and black authors as well yeah it was really really great yeah but yeah, so, um, but if there's anything that you would like to comment or tell us you would like to hear us talk about, please email us at thesquaggles at gmail.com. Yeah, and rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts, like us on Facebook, and follow us on the Instagram. Yes, please give mm -hmm. us ratings and comments. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, <laughs> let us know what you're doing. And give us things that you would like for us to talk about. Yes, I mean, because we've got our own list, but yeah, if there, we always but we like are to, open to suggestions. Yeah, and and we always like to to try to cater to what you all want to listen to. Yes, so let us know, please. Yeah, creep it real, <laughs> and we'll scare you later. Bye. Bye.